whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia, alleluia. Gospel according to St. John, the 10th chapter. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, um, not everyone may know my day job here, but I am a chaplain over at Nathan Adelson Hospice. And I love this job because I get to burst out of my Lutheran bubble a little bit and do ministry with people of so many other faiths and at times people of no faith. Now, the best part uh, of this job is that I get a chance to interact with clergy who are not Protestant like me and are from other faith traditions. And I love all of these interactions. There are always young Mormon missionaries who arrive at our facility right on time, and they are always very eager to serve. There's a Hubad rabbi who I've gotten to know who is so gracious with his time, and so dedicated in his care for Jewish patients and family members will say, well, we don't go to temple that much, and he'll say, I don't care. There are Catholic priests who are so busy that every time we have a conversation, it's like for you West Wing fans out there, it's like one of those Aaron Sorkin walk-in talks where we're walking down the hallway, how are you, how was your Easter? And they go and uh, anoint their patients and uh, get going. But of all of these, My favorite interaction by far is with an imam I met through a medical student who uh, was very eager to come and care for any Muslim at the end of life wishing to honor their religion and to honor their traditions. I, I forget why, but I think one day some years ago we found ourselves wandering away from talking about business and having a conversation about our faiths. Now, he talked about his faith with grace and ease. But if you know me, I was very curious and probing and inquiring. I was digging around about theological puzzles just to learn about them from a perspective that was largely foreign to me. Now, he endured this for a little bit. And after about 10 minutes where we're trading Bible quotes and Koran verses, he smiled at me and said, Why did you enter the ministry? And I kind of stuttered then. I rambled incoherently for a few minutes and rummaged through the stock responses about helping people and being interested in theology that I gave to countless committees that examined me before my ordination. Now the imam only nodded his head and stated, in Islam, there is only one reason to enter ministry. He paused And the next words out of his mouth were almost like a prayer, and they probably were a prayer. He said, you enter ministry because you want to tell others about the goodness of God. This exchange has 
stuck in my head more than countless books and long seminary lectures. It was a gift. All these things that that jammed in my head had just made the matter complicated to me. It took a dedicated servant of God in a faith that was not my own to untangle knots of profound-sounding gibberish I had learned from the church and ego-driven claims about my own gifts that I had told myself and told call committees. My job, yours too, by the way, (laughs) is to tell people about the goodness of God. And that has been etched on my heart from that day. And what's more astounding to me is that my attempts to simply appreciate the faith of another led me to clear the cobwebs out of my head and discover what my own faith truly means. Despite the division between us, my encounter allowed this imam to bear witness to a much deeper reality that both of our traditions share, the great goodness of God. Now, every religion talks about the goodness of God differently, but at the core, in all the religions of Abraham, there is this sense that God not only created the world, but loves it intensely and is personally invested in the lives of the people upon it. We talk about it so much, and I don't think we pause and we stop And we think about how mind-boggling it is that God loves this world, all of this world, as it is, all of it. God not only created the world, but God loves the world. Every creature upon it, down to the blades of grass and the droplets of water in the sea. This love soars across oceans and mountain peaks. It also touches down to microbes that are bustling in every mud puddle. Read the Psalms. You'll get that sense. You'll hear how God, God's love touches every single thing. And we are called into that love every time some new corner of the world is opened up to us. So next time you take that great trip to Zion or wherever you're going on vacation, say, I'm going to discover a new place where God's love has touched. And that's all well and good, right? But... Here's the really hard part. That same love that touches every place and every creature touches every person, too. I think this is where we start to really struggle. It is really easy to tack a Bible verse on a beautiful landscape or to go to a church where everybody looks like you and go, yep, God loves this, but it is much harder to imagine the love of God stretching to people that annoy us or irritate us because they think, act, vote, dress, love, or drive in Las Vegas and think that you putting your blinker on is an invitation to drive right next to you. God's love stretches beyond us. It stretches into our daily lives, into our homes, into our communities, into the entire world, and guess what? It means it also covers our enemies. It stretches to people who we think are ignorant. It stretches across every line drawn by race, nationality, color, sexual orientation, national origin, political party, and 
the way and every way people invent to divide themselves, God's love just goes ahead and steps over the line. Right? I think it was Anne Lamott who said, whenever we draw a line between us and other people, that's a line that God goes and steps right across. Right? That is lines that... Right, we're talking about the big ones, right? But the smaller ones too, right? Anyone that's in a family that's broken, anyone that's been part of a community that's broken, right? God steps across all of those lines because of His love. And here's the thing: God does this not to erase the differences between us, but God embraces differences. Each individual, in so many ways, speaks to a beautiful dignity that belongs just to them. I formed you in your mother's womb, God says to the prophet Jeremiah. And when he says that, he shows that each individual is like a massive unfolding project that God is intimately involved in. Each person is a story that God is telling. And as we look for our neighbor, as we have in the last couple weeks, we hear that story in our daily lives. We hear that story in our families. We hear that story in our cities. And finally, we go into the world to hear that great story of God's love, knowing that there is no person who we meet who is not someone deeply loved by God. And I know many of you have heard all of this before. But as Christians, I think too often we turn this reality that God loves everyone into a burden that we have to bear. It usually goes like this. God loves you, but I really think you're a jerk. Right? But God loves you, so I'll hold back. We think this means we have to swallow our desire to commit harmful acts or choke down our insulting words or, as my wife always tells me, to keep all of my digits down when I'm driving. We turn God's command to love our neighbor into a series of do nots instead of focusing on what we're called to do. We make loving our neighbor into an exercise in merely tolerating them. This is the bare minimum of the law rather than the maximum of what a true grace it is to see the, uh, see the world in eyes that are not our own. And it can only happen by loving our neighbor just as God does. Right? In my interaction with that Emma, right? if I... If I stayed where I was, well, this is somebody that I have to respect and I don't want to offend him and I want to be nice, right? If I had just stayed there and not taken the chance to have that encounter with him, I would not have had the chance for him to witness to me. And that's what God puts people in this world to do, to witness to us, to witness to us about God and to witness uh, to us about the world. And sometimes we don't listen and we're like the prophet Jonah. You ever read the Jonah story? How many of you have been parents of a teenager? Not me yet. Can't wait. Right? Okay, so many of you have been parents of a teenager. Whenever you read Jonah or you hear the story of Jonah, just imagine Jonah as your teenager. Jonah is somebody who just does not want to listen. And so you hear about Jonah being a teenager in the story, running away, not wanting to do what he's been called to do. And and there's a simple reason for this. The people of Nineveh belong to a sprawling empire 
It's big and powerful, and they're not followers of the Israelite God. To get this story right, you have to understand that the people of Nineveh are the oppressors, not the oppressees. Jonah is an oppressee, right? So if you really want to understand the story of Jonah, you've got to imagine Jonah like a teenager, or maybe even like Luke Skywalker. You imagine an empire, that, 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 that scene where he's talking to Yoda, imagine if Yoda had told Luke Skywalker, well, Luke, what you have to do is you just have to go you know, find the emperor and find Darth Vader, and, and, and you just have to preach to them and, and tell them to repent, right? Tell them to change their ways. Right? Would, you, would you want to do something like that? The people of Nineveh are the oppressors. And Jonah hates them for it. And he fights this call from God. And when he finally gets pushed into doing it because he literally can go nowhere else, he literally washes up on the shore of Nineveh. And he gives this sermon, which if you read the Hebrew, this is how my Old Testament professor put it. It sounds like a term paper from a high school student who's just phoning it in and trying to pass the class with like a D. It's not the most stirring oratory in the Bible. And so Jonah is right there doing the bare minimum for his neighbors from another nation. So imagine how he felt when his crappy little sermon worked. (laughs) And the people of Nineveh repent. And what's great about the story is not only do the people of Nineveh repent, but the people are putting uh, it, their, their animals, like their cows and the donkeys, all the animals are like in sackcloth and ashes too. It's like this total repentance. And Jonah is so upset. And he goes, I knew this would happen, God, because you just love people. And it drives me crazy that you love people. You're supposed to love us, only us. We're Israel, right? And so God wants to teach him a lesson. And he gives Jonah shade under a leafy bush and then takes the bush away. There is, we're in Las Vegas summer, folks. There is nothing like shade. So we went out to uh, Heritage Park is the name of the park. Anyway, it's in uh, Hendertucky. And we went out for the city of Henderson uh, 4th of July uh, celebration. And uh, we were getting set up on our blankets and uh, we found a space, I think it was like a light pole or something, and we, and we kind of, we didn't have a tent, but we set up under this light pole, and man, it was so nice, we were so proud of ourselves. But then like 20 minutes later, the sun shifted, and like the light pole moved, and it was terrible. And I knew exactly how Jonah felt in that moment. But this is exactly the point. God's trying to tell Jonah that every single person in Nineveh was like that bush to God, right? Every person in Nineveh was as beloved as something that gives you shade on a hot day. On Thursday, I would have seriously given all the money I had to this light pole, right? When something gives you shade, you love it a great deal, So if you'll forgive the expression, we all throw shade on God. But it's a good kind of shade. And this is how much God loves people. And God defends Nineveh to Jonah by saying, not not only are all the human lives important to God, but the animal ones are too. It's so great. It's how the book ends. What about all the people in Nineveh? 
Not to mention, literally in the Hebrew, not to mention all the cattle. Each and every one of those cows mattered to God. So by the way, have you ever wondered if your pets go to heaven? You bet. This is the goodness of God. God loves us and is attached to each of us that deeply. And when we do anything to diminish, harass, or take down someone else, we are taking God down too. I've been guilty of it. You've been guilty of it. Our city has been guilty of it. Our nation has been guilty of it. Right? We fail at this all the time. We cause God so much pain and so many tears. But I think it's when we fail as people, that's when the goodness of God starts showing up. When we take God down in this way by mistreating our neighbors, God comes down. He says, they're going to take me down, all right? He comes down to us in the flesh as Jesus And coming down, what we do, when God comes down to us, what we do is we take Jesus and we lift him up on a cross. And on that cross, he takes on his body all of the hate, all of the insults, all the mistreatment, all the violence, and all the torment that we inflict on one another. Everything we mean to pour on someone else like acid, Jesus comes down and takes the brunt of it. Whether it's a hateful comment on social media, or whether it's the bullying of someone because they're different, Jesus takes all of that on himself. And all of the weight of the injustice in this world is carried on those two wooden beams. And those beams tear Jesus apart. Every cross that's been forced on us and every cross that we've given to someone else is placed on Jesus. And he does this willingly. He says in our gospel lesson today, I lay my life down for the sheep. That's what it means. I uh, think at times when we uh, think of whose wrath Jesus died under, it was not only God's wrath, but ours. While this is going on, while Jesus is being crucified under the weight of our hate, he cries out, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And right there, right on that cross, forgiveness from God covers over every bridge that we've burned, covers over every bullet ever fired, and it covers over every misunderstanding that has broken bonds between us. And in all the places that have been broken apart, on that cross, new ground has been made. And that's where we stand when we go out and we meet our neighbors. We go out into a world that is covered every inch in God's forgiveness. We walk into a creation that is always being made new. And every person is someone who Jesus bled and died for whether they belong to this fold or not. We can walk into our lives without fear and without trepidation. We can meet our neighbors across the world and we can encounter God's goodness in the face of others. We can trust that even the most scarred relationships will be healed in our lives 
And most of all, we can experience that goodness of God that the Imam told me about in places where we least expect it. From people that we least expect it from. We can experience that goodness of God in the lives of our neighbors here and all over the world. Amen.